Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all of the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Thanks, Laura, and good morning, guys. Welcome to Hiawatha. So good to see some of your faces here. This is... Uh, this is a breath of fresh air. That's, that doesn't do it justice to say it that way, but so good to see some of you here today. Uh, welcome to um, all of you at home. Most of you are at home still, and we uh, look forward to seeing many of you um, next week uh, as well. But I uh, hope you're having a great June. Uh, happy Father's Day to you dads. Uh, we are in our sermon series in the book of Ruth right now and continuing uh, in that series, which will uh, wrap up next week. So uh, two more weeks of it uh, to go. Uh, thanks again, Laura, for reading. Uh, we are in uh, chapter 4 verses uh, 1 to 12. Uh, Today, if you want to turn there in a Bible you've got, um, whether you're uh, here at home uh, or a a phone app uh, to follow along, that'd be great. We'll have a lot of this on on, um, slides as well. So if you're on Facebook Live, hopefully you'll be able to uh, see this as well as we go. Uh, But just to remind you where we've been, Ruth, remember, is the story. It's a very short book of the Old Testament. It is a short story about a woman named Ruth uh, who is a Moabite, not an Israelite, Uh, But she travels back to Israel after a famine with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to support her uh, and to find love again. So um, both Naomi's husband, Elimelech, and Ruth's husband, Malon, died. 
in Moab uh, during the famine, but when the famine ended in Israel, they went back to Israel, to Bethlehem actually, and uh, the story kind of takes place mostly there. What makes the story kind of confusing, though, is this idea of redemption. Uh, so just a few minutes on that. We, we use the word redeem as a synonym for salvation, basically, when we sing songs at church and things like that, or maybe just in, uh, in um, conversation, uh, which is true. Uh, it's a broad definition. More precisely, though, it means to buy back from something. And even more precisely, the Old Testament had laws that helped to protect widows and to, as, as uh, we just heard, perpetuate the name of the dead. And so whether it be land redemption or marriage redemption, the idea was that a living relative to the deceased could buy his deceased brother's land and marry his wife to perpetuate his name and ensure that the widow would benefit from the land's produce indefinitely. And so that still might be kind of confusing, but at least understand that redemption laws help to provide for surviving widows who found themselves in a really, really hard place. In this story, Boaz is the redeemer that Naomi and Ruth want. So if you're just joining us, that was last week, but a lot of you heard uh, last week we found that um, Boaz is, and even before that as well, Boaz is this identified uh, just good guy. He's this redeemer type figure that Naomi is, is saying you should go and kind of present yourself to, uh, to this man, uh, saying that to Ruth. And so uh, he's the guy that Ru- uh, Naomi and Ruth want uh, to be the redeemer in their case. But what happened in this, in, in this week's passage, what's going to happen today, and this came up last week as well, is there's another redeemer who is a closer relative than Boaz. So that means he essentially has dibs on the opportunity to redeem first. So Boaz goes and talks to him, sits him down, shares kind of what's going on. And at first, this guy is willing to redeem when it's about land redemption. But then when Boaz says, oh, but you also need to redeem Ruth the Moabite, and you need to marry her, it's kind of a package deal here, he immediately backs down. And so Boaz then, the path being cleared for him to redeem, steps up to redeem Naomi's land and Ruth as, as a wife. And so there are witnesses, there's this exchange of sandals, which is kind of odd, even for the first audience, they had to kind of uh, get clued in on what that meant. Uh, and then basically, bam, we come to the climax of the story, which is Boaz and Ruth are going to get married. And so what I want to do today is, is walk through this passage with you guys in, in kind of an um, emotional to theological uh, kind of journey here. So I, I think there's some emotional aspects to this uh, up front that I think are, are important to drill into, and then we'll get to uh, the theology, which those things relate, of course, too. But I want to walk through it kind of along uh, those lines. But it begins, it kind of begins and ends, though, uh, orbits around this other guy uh, who seems to be standing in the way of love. All right, so try to understand and kind of feel and smell the air of the dilemma that this guy presents. Like, what if he does want to redeem Ruth, right? That, that, and actually, he kind of does it first, right? When it's about land, he's like, yeah, I'll redeem it, uh, but not whenever Ruth was uh, a part of the, the whole thing. And so even though redemption's always a good thing technically, and maybe we could say, well, as long as Ruth and Naomi are redeemed somehow, that's kind of a good thing. We could maybe say that. It still doesn't feel right, does it? Especially up to this point in the story, we've been seeing it's always been about Boaz and Ruth, kind of the whole time. And then this guy's not even named at all, but he sort of swoops in out of nowhere and seems to be standing in the way of, of resolution in the story, in the way of true love. So uh, it's almost like we wish the rules wouldn't apply, right? Like it's, we, we wish that the, these laws weren't maybe so specific that he didn't have, he wasn't a closer redeemer 
that maybe, you know, multiple redeemers could redeem on the same level, something like that. It's almost like we wish the rules wouldn't apply, like they'd be, they could be bent or broken for the sake of Boaz and Ruth. And if that's kind of what you're feeling, that's kind of what we're supposed to feel, I think, here, is we, we just wish it didn't have to quite be this way. Uh, and so hold on to that feeling for a minute, because I, th- I think that'll kind of inform uh, some of the meaning here uh, theologically as we, as we move ahead. And so what I want to do then uh, first, and we'll kind of break down the sermon this way, we'll look at these two men. Uh, the, the Bible does this a lot. There's like, it's kind of a tale of two things a lot. Uh, we, we talk about that a lot here at Hiawatha because the Bible does, but in this case, uh, we see the same thing. It's, it's a tale of two redeemers. Uh, there's this first redeemer, this failed redeemer, this guy's unnamed guy, and then there's Boaz. And so we'll talk about it in those two ways. I'm going to talk first of all about the failed redeemer. Uh, I read one guy last week who called him Mr. So-and-so because he's not named. I kind of like that. So I'm going to borrow from that a little bit this week. Uh, Mr. So-and-so, I'll call him. He's unnamed, probably to foreshadow the fact that he is, his impending insignificance is almost here. Uh, and so I think it's a literary device on one level, but kind of odd, right, that he wouldn't be named. He's kind of an important figure here, but I think that's uh, a choice. I think that's by design to show that he's not ultimately important. And Boaz, the named man, uh, is the important guy who's going to end up redeeming Ruth. All right, so we'll look at him. I think that he, the way he acts here in the story and also the fact that he's unnamed and the fact that he chooses not to redeem, especially when Ruth is presented, um, I think that helps us understand very important theology in the book as it relates to Ruth and Boaz, but then going further as it relates to, to us and, and Jesus Christ. All right, so a few things or a couple big things here to, to start. The first is simply this feeling of just not being wanted. And this is what I mean by kind of the emotional aspect of this. It's easy to read over this, and so if you didn't feel this, don't feel bad about that or anything. But just kind of go back and slowly go through it in your mind. This would have been really probably kind of difficult, right, for maybe a lot of people involved here, but Ruth especially. Ruth is rejected outright, right? She's outright rejected. The second she comes into the picture... Mr. So-and-so, the failed redeemer guy, backs down. The second she comes into the picture, he's like, oh, I'm out. Yes, I want the land. I'll take it. I'll redeem it. But, oh, whoa, Ruth the Moabite? No way. I'm, I'm out. And so he, so he backs down. So putting ourselves in Ruth's, Ruth's position, it's kind of hard not to take that personally, right? It would have been obvious that she was the problem, that she was the, the unwanted wife. And so I think just right off the cuff, we, we're, we're presented with an opportunity to associate a bit with Ruth here and ask ourselves, ha, have we ever been in that place? Not this exact same place, but a place where we haven't been chosen for something or wanted or rejected on any level. And maybe the pandemic has heightened this in a way. You know, Aletha and I, uh, we're, we've been talking for a few months now, I guess, just about the, the weirdness of people treating you like a leper right, walking down the sidewalk and just saying, whoa, kind of walking around, staring at you a little bit. Um, that, that heightens things, right, when you're just not wanted or when you treat, you're treated as though you have a, um, a virus, which you might have, but, but maybe we don't, right? So, uh, but in a lot of ways, the, I think the failed redeemer here then, and we'll start with this, this is not exhaustive, I think the failed redeemer represents the devil, he represents our sin, he represents the world. Things, in other words, that are unwilling to save or things that are unwilling to protect or things that are just outcasting us, right? Or rejecting or pushing us away. 
uh, unable to, to redeem. This is the state of the human race. This is where we're all at. So whether we can feel, you know, R- Ruth's experiences here or not, this is the state of the human race. We are, we are re- rejected. We are outcasts. We are not wanted uh, in different ways, whether in physical or, or spiritual or emotional ways. And, um, and, and this is the state then that the story is kind of building itself off of. A friend of mine shared this quote with me uh, from C.S. Lewis last week. It relates uh, where he says, we are filled with a lifelong nostalgia or a longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. To be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside. And so again, I think rejection on whatever level accentuates this, uh, this human predicament uh, that, that we find ourselves in. Also interesting on this theme that Leah's mentioned. You guys noticed that when we read, that, that when Laura read? Leah is mentioned here along with Rachel in verse 11. So the Leah from the book of Genesis, uh, of Jake, one of Jacob's wives here. Uh, and that's significant because Leah is uh, also an unwanted one. If you remember her story, she is not as beautiful as her sister Rachel. Uh, she's not the wanted wife, but she ends up kind of backing into this weird marriage with Jacob too, which I can't go into that uh, for time's sake today. But she kind of backs into this. She's not wanted, even when she ends up marrying Jacob uh, through these odd circumstances. Um, But she is the unwanted. She is the not as beautiful. Uh, She is the outcast, uh, even though um, she is uh, the the older sister, I believe. So, um, but Leah, but here's the thing. Leah is the one through whom Jesus would come. So the genealogical line passes through her and through Ruth to Christ. And so it goes from Leah right through Ruth to unwanted women, um, and it goes all the way then ahead right to to Christ. We'll talk more about genealogy next week, but for today, remember, genealogy and theology always relate in, in the Bible. And so the line itself then tells us about the Christ who had come to save the world from its sin. And and in this case, I think on two levels. One, that Jesus would come to save the people upstream in the genealogy. So in this case, people like us, rejected, unwanted, sinful outcasts uh, like Ruth and and Leah represent uh, as pictures of the world. He would come to save those types of people, those who are exiled from God. But here's the, the kind of the kicker to it. The second level is he would do this by himself being rejected unto death on a cross. In the Bible, he is called the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, right? So one of the key components, one of the identifying markers to who Jesus is, is a rejected stone that that would somehow become the most important stone of the new temple being built, which is the people of God being in the very presence of of, uh, their creator again because of Jesus' spilt blood. So so you kind of see what's going on here. We have this, like, this hope that Jesus will come to save people like Ruth and people like Leah, people like us. But the way he's going to do that is by himself being rejected as well. So the line makes sense then, right? Leah and Ruth and Jesus are all rejected. They're all, in a way, unwanted. So rejection is both solved and fulfilled by Jesus. He gathers and loves the rejects, like Boaz is doing for Ruth here, those who have sinned like us. But, but this is key. He does so by taking on that theme himself, by becoming human. And like Isaiah 52, 14 looks ahead to, uh, by becoming not a handsome man. Uh, Jesus was marred. He was 
um, as it says here in Isaiah 52, he was disfigured above that of any man. And so he, he took on these characteristics, even physically, uh, that, that come before him in these women in, uh, in the storyline. Again, like us. But, but what this all means is so that he would ultimately become like us. He would substitute himself for us in love. He'd become human, but also become marred. He'd become human, but also unwanted. He'd become human, but rejected. And through that, God says, that's how I will save you. That's how I'll save them. I'll become like them, to empathize with them, to love them in that way, but also die on a cross for them as well so they can be brought in. All right, so that's kind of the first big picture 30,000-foot theme, I think, that we, uh, that we see. But digging a little bit deeper and going back off that list of devil, sin, world, I think that the, the Redeemer also uh, is a picture of one more thing, and that is the, the failure of the law to redeem. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6 talks about marriage redemption. Let me read this just so you can get, get a glimpse for what the actual laws were that are being applied here uh, in part in the book of Ruth. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. All right, so big thing to see here, and again, applying this to Ruth, seeing how this plays out in Ruth, this is about marriage redemption. Land redemption's a little bit different, but that's kind of the thing. And so when you talk about land redemption biblically, there were provisions in the Bible, in the law, for multiple redeemers. So in other words, there is this kind of idea where if one person, one brother can't do it, one relative can't do it, then it kind of goes down the line. So it made provisions on that level. But with marriage redemption, no such provisions were, were made. Like in Deuteronomy 25, it doesn't really sound like there's like a plan B here. It's just that if there's a brother, then that brother uh, is able to, uh, to redeem. But if not, then, then, there, then there isn't. In other words, Boaz as a uh, relative, but not a direct brother. So Boaz was a relative, but not a direct brother. He does more than keep the spirit of the law here. He goes beyond it to grace. He's not bound by it. And more than this, he redeems a Moabite. She's not an Israelite woman. Uh, she's a non-Jewish woman. So our response to Boaz's actions here in the book should not be, oh, he's just keeping the redemption law out of obligation. Like, he has to do this. Yes, he's helping to see it through on one level. He is a relative, but he's doing much more than that. He's going beyond the law to love. We see this kind of theme in the Bible a lot, this idea of law usurping or law going beyonding in many places, whether, it, whether it's David, King David, eating the bread of the presence in the temple, which is unlawful for him, but he's not condemned for it or with Jesus breaking the Sabbath in the New Testament, or with Jesus saying, something greater than Solomon is here, referring to himself, or saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire love, not the law anymore. Or whether it's like David's sons, who were priests in the Old Testament when they weren't supposed to be. They weren't Levites, uh, but they weren't condemned for it. And we read that and we think, well, hey, I understand the need for priests but David's sons are not supposed to fill that role. They're not Levites. 
You know, it's kind of like that here in the book of Ruth as well. In the same way we might say in Ruth, I understand the need, the lawful need for a redeemer, but Boaz doesn't have to do that. He's not obligated. And so all these things in their own way kind of help lead us to the same conclusion, or they, they help tell the same story at least. Like Boaz says to the other redeemer, I come after you. Remember when he said that? I come after you. So does Jesus come after the law. The New Testament comes after the old. Obligatory obedience is giving way to grace. Changes are happening even here in in the Old Testament. And so, let me try to make this a little bit more clear. So, when Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Failed Redeemer says, quote, I cannot redeem, that is the old moral laws and commandments speaking. The law cannot redeem redeem us. Something else is needed. This is why when when Boaz redeems, he does so apart from law. He's not obligated. He's doing it, but he's also not obligated to do it. He's rising above. He's going beyond it to a place of love. He is not obligated to redeem Ruth. In the same way, we are not redeemed or saved by what we do, by keeping the law, or by any kind of spiritual or moral performance whatsoever but instead by the loving actions of another. Romans 3.21 here says, But now, apart from law, apart from law, Jesus came to save us or, um, or to redeem us. Or we see more clearly a few verses later, We are justified or made righteous. We are reconciled with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption of That is in Christ Jesus. We have been redeemed. Like Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, we have been spiritually redeemed by Christ. We have been bought back from sin and death uh, by a relative, in a sense, right? By one who became like us. He became like a brother. Hebrews 2 talks about this, how he had to become like his brothers. He had to become like us in the flesh so he could die in our place, right? If he didn't become like us, there'd be no opportunity to redeem, no opportunity to save. He'd be too far away, right? So that's how these laws, I think, are fulfilled in Christ. It's, it's the closeness of the brother, the relative, that, that allows for redemption. With Christ, he had to become close to us. He had to, he had to condescend. He had to come low and take on our, as we said before, our infirmities, our um, marredness, just our humanness, so he could redeem us as a human being by dying in our place. All right, so that's what I want to shift to next is looking at Boaz redeeming Ruth. So we looked at this other failed redeemer as a picture of many things, especially the law that cannot redeem, that is unwilling to, and and actually cannot. Uh, But then we we are going to look at Boaz next. Let me me read verses 9 to 10 again, which uh, focuses on the moment that Ruth is redeemed. It's really cool. So in verse 9, it says, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, that's Naomi's husband, and all that belong to Kilion and Malon, her sons. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead, in this case Malon, in, in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. All right, so now let's look at Boaz uh, from a few different angles and talk about redemption. We have been doing this, but I think there are a few things 
from the perspective of Boaz being a Christ figure that we learn that are more specific than just saying he is, he is a redeemer. So we'll start with this. Boaz is the definition, in a lot of ways, of what it means to be a man. He's not perfect. He's a sinner like us. However, the way the book records his actions uh, here is, um, the, is definitionally what it means to be a man. It is masculinity uh, 101 here. Uh, in other words, he initiates, uh, he fights for his bride-to-be, he speaks, he calls for witnesses, he redeems. He's doing all the heavy lifting here, right? He's leaving this part of redemption um, to, to himself. He's not leaving this part of redemption to Ruth. If he did that, it would simply be unromantic. It would be unloving. It might lead us to think that his heart wasn't in it, right? Like, in other words, if Boaz said when Ruth approached him last week and, and came and uncovered his feet and that whole thing happened at the threshing floor and, sa- and she said, be my, be my redeemer. Like, if, if Boaz would have said something like, okay, go to the other redeemer and um, talk to him and let me know if he passes. I'll be here sleeping. But just let me know if he passes on you, then maybe I'll, like, then maybe I'll redeem. That'd be, like, it's way different, right? Like, I'll, I'll just sad. That would be an unromantic um, of, a, of a conclusion. But that's not what happens. Boaz says, last week, I'll go and talk to the guy. Picks up this week with him, finding him in the city, dealing with the problem that he presents between them, and just solves it, right? And um, th- there's a lot of uh, amazing uh, characteristics there that that we would say are um, qualities of what it means to be a man, but especially qualities of the true man, which is, which is Christ. On the flip side of that with Ruth, again, her silence, I think, is quite telling. She doesn't say a thing during all of this, and it's, and it's, it's important for us. She is in the place of reception, right? And I think on a bit of an aside, this is why in like a marriage ceremony, this is why a groom enters the room first, and this is why a groom gives his vows before the bride or why that should happen. Um, it's to symbolize that he is the covenant initiator. Like, Aletha and I got married in this very room. Um, 18, 18 years. What's our, what's our, I can never do the math. All right. No, it's, uh, yeah, 18. Are we, are we that old? Okay. Um, 18 uh, years ago. And so, but it's, it's the same deal. Like, I entered from that door um, with some of my friends and family and then Aletha came down, right? This is the way we do things because it symbolizes something about Christ. It would, be, it, would, it would tell the wrong story if a woman came into the room, a bride came into the room first. It would say that we save ourselves from our sins. That might sound crazy, and yes, it's a symbol, so we've got to hold it a little bit loosely, uh, but it does. Uh, Christ walked into the room before us. Like, like Boaz is fighting for his wife here and initiating the covenant, Christ walked into the room first. He took vows first. And in fact, in Christ's case, he only takes the vows. He doesn't ask us to vow back to him, so it even goes further. So it's, all this is the same with Jesus then. The way that Boaz initiates and fights for, for Ruth, this is what he's doing for us, even right now, in this very room, in our lives. Like, he is always awake, he never sleeps, he's always fighting for us, he does all the heavy lifting of our salvation Again, in stark contrast to the failed redeemer who is a picture of the law, who cannot redeem. Boaz can. And he's doing all of it, right? Himself. The true Boaz who can actually uh, redeem the new Ruth. 
uh, which, is, which is us. In other words, and we say it all the time, saved by grace, not by works. Not by what you consider to be a good Christian life. We're not saved by what we consider to be a good, active Christian life. That's not what saves us, right? Every day, it's not what saves us. It's only by Jesus' work on, um, on our behalf. And so, it's a moment for us. It's a moment to praise God that like Boaz goes to deal with the failed redeemer, so does Christ go to deal with the law. He exposes it. He replaces it. Like Boaz replaces this redeemer, Jesus replaces the law with his bloody body and says, this is how redemption will work. Like Romans 3.24, it's by the blood that we have that redemption in context there. We have redemption through his blood um, and forgiveness through his blood from Ephesians 1.7 as well. All right, and that leads me to the second piece, which is that Boaz purchases Ruth. This is really important. Uh, purchasing here means uh, redeeming. It means he's paying a price. It's not, it means he's acquiring or assuming uh, the widow from his, from his relative. All right, it doesn't mean he's like purchasing as though his wife is his property now or anything like that. So don't get too up on that word. It just means this has to do with a legal acquiring of land and the assumption of a widow. But all this said, Boaz is spending here, right? He's spending something. He's, he's giving something, which means he's losing something for the sake of Ruth. Even the idea of giving a sandal to the other failed redeemer, it means he's giving something up. But he is inconvenienced. He's lost money. He's lost time. His life plans were altered. This is what Love is, right? Love comes at a cost. Love is never free. In this case, redemption is not free. If you remember one thing today, redemption is not free. It cost Boaz and it cost Jesus in the end, right? That's the whole point here. He spent on a higher level as well. His life you could say, was inconvenienced. He spent, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.20 even says this, that we were bought with a price. So the idea of being purchased is a very gospel-centered, important idea to understand. Like th- this is, There's security in this, but also love, because you can't separate out love and cost. Aletha and I talk a lot about this too, like how we, when we got married, that we, we lost things. It was totally worth it, but we lost friendships. We lost, our life plans were altered. You know, we, it, but it's totally worth it when you're in love, right? Because you want to be redefined around this person, but you can't like love someone and not spend something. And so we see this by experience, right? But it's the same with Christ. We can't just understand the vague notion that God loves you. It's not enough to say that. Is it true? Yes. But the Bible does not leave it there. He loves us by spending. He redeems us by spending. He redeems us by condescending and being harmed for us, exchanging, right? The cross is in this passage. When it says Boaz purchased, when he says, you all are witnesses. I have purchased Ruth the Moabite to be my wife. That that might as well be Christ screaming off the page to us saying, you all are witnesses and the whole universe be a witness. That I, have, I am purchasing the church. I am spending my blood. I'm giving my blood to buy with, the price, with that price um, people back from sin and out of the devil's family. 
away from their despair, away from things that used to define them. And so this last uh, third piece here is, it relates to it. Um, when Boaz, it says, perpetuates the name of the dead, all right, so remember there's three dead men here. The idea of redemption in part was to provide for the widow. We've been talking a lot about that. That's the big piece. That's the Ruth piece. But there's also these three dead men who are kind of being cared for as well. Isn't that cool? They're dead. And yet people are thinking about them. They're wanting what's best for them. They're wanting their name to go on, whether it's through the land or through the firstborn son of the surviving widow. Does that make sense? Name perpetuation. And we'll talk more about this next week because it's partly for Naomi as well, which is kind of cool. But the idea here is that we are actually, in this sense, a lot more like the men. We're like Elimelech and we're like Malon and Kilion in this regard. And and the idea is that there is hope for the dead. I think the the idea of name perpetuation um, is resurrection hope. Uh, It's sort of like when Jesus says, when um, he's in that kind of... uh, uh, tussle with uh, some religious leaders and, and, and about the resurrection, and one of the responses is that, you know, that, that I am the, the Lord of the living, right, not the dead. God is the God of the living, not the dead, and he quotes uh, the passage where it just names God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, dead people, and it says, well, here's some resurrection theology for you, you know, uh, God is the God of the living, not the dead, but, but he's like, in, in a sense, perpetuating the name, right, in the, in the spirit of this whole thing. Anyway, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. That's the thing he says is resurrection theology from the Old Testament, but I think in the spirit of that, um, the resurrection's here. Um, and for us, it's not just our names, but our bodies that will be perpetuated. It's not just our names, it's our bodies that will go on. Um, and, and so, let me conclude with reading this to you guys. This is, um, I think, Boaz is, in verses 9 and 10, when Boaz finalizes and legally declares redemption, um, you know, when he says, all of you are witnesses, there's the exchange of sandals. Um, I think that this, this is intentionally reminiscent of what Christ says to sinners like us after he rises from the dead himself. All right, so let me read this uh, with a couple of comments and we'll, um, we'll close. The words of Christ from Ruth 4, 9 and 10. You are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of my people all of their sins. I've paid their debts. I've acquired their iniquity. I've exchanged my perfect sandal for their filthy sandal so that their names will not be cut off from my name. Their names will not be cast into hell forever. Instead, they will be perpetuated. They will rise again in the new earth at my command, like I myself rose. Tombs will be emptied. Stones will split. They will perpetually live in my presence forever, forgiven, loved, never to see death again. And so whether it's the love that Boaz shows Ruth, whether it's the redemption that comes apart from law and goes past it, beyond it, usurps it, whether it's the redemption that that comes not at the work of Ruth's hands but the Ruth of Boaz's, or the hope that there is for eternal life in name perpetuation, 
It all comes through the spending of Christ, the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and his willingness to lose so we might gain. And so that's what I think uh, this passage is saying to us. And I'll hold out for all of you here and watching for myself is Ruth 4 is saying, believe in him today for redemption. To to you Christians and non-Christians, believe in him today for your redemption. Confess your sins Rely on his redemptive purchasing, his blood-spilling work, not on the works of your hands, and rest in his love. We pray for us. Father, thank you for this passage. Uh, God, thank you that uh, the Bible, it really is a tale of two kinds of redeemers. Like uh, I think of Romans 10 where it talks about two kinds of righteousnesses, one by works and law and one by belief. Uh, we, We see that yet again, another facet of that beautiful diamond uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament book of Ruth. God, uh, please, Father, help us to cling to the one right kind of righteousness. These, these two kinds of righteousness, righteousnesses, redemptions, redeemers, are not blended. The old failed redeemer and Boaz are different men with different bodies, with different DNA, uh, just like the two testaments are qualitatively different in the Bible. Father, we are saved by grace not by what we do. We are not saved back underneath the yoke, the heavy burden of the law, but we are saved instead by the free, saving, non-obligatory, loving work of Jesus Christ forever. And our name will always be perpetuated in in that name. It will always be aligned with Christ's name, his name written on our foreheads, our new names given to us now by grace. So God, Blow us away with your love. Uh, Move in us, wreck us by it. Change us from the inside out um, this week by how much and how much you've spent to rip us out of hell and give us a spot at your banqueting table. In Christ's name we pray, amen.